afternoon is taken from two passages of Scripture. First, we go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, starting at verse 8. That is on page 1199 in your pew Bible. So Romans 6, verse 8 to 23. <clears throat> Hear God's word. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to, impu to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Secondly, we will turn to 1 John 5. <clears throat> read 1 John 5 verse 1 to 5 and after we've read that we will sing together from Psalm 119 stanza 49 50 and 51 so 1 John 5, which is on page 1304 of your Bible. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever was, has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The text for this afternoon is the biblical teaching of Scripture as we confess it in Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In the backs of the Book of Praise, Lord's Day 13, on page 528. Lord's Day 13 reads as follows, Why is he called God's only begotten Son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace for Christ's sake. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. This is for the catechism. The sermon we're about to read this afternoon has been prepared by Reverend C. Bauman of Smithville. After the sermon, we'll rise and sing from Psalm 19, stanza three and six. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we like the idea of being free. To be told what to do, unable to make our own decisions, simply sits wrong with us. Our land has its charter of rights and freedoms, and we Canadians treasure the freedoms we've come to understand belongs to being Canadians. More, exactly because we're Christians, we're also free from the power of the devil. And we love that thought too. We're free and happy to be free. And we show our appreciation for this freedom by doing the things we like, as long as it's not too sinful. Because after all, Christians are free. Our Lord's Day, brothers and sisters, challenges our perception about freedom. For question and answer 34 asks why we call Jesus our Lord. And we realize that those who call another their Lord actually aren't free. Our Lord's Day drives that point home by its reference to being his own possession, the property of another. Yes, here's correction for our thought that we're free. The Catechism would have us know that we're free indeed, free to serve. We are not our own masters. So the theme of the text of the sermon is the child of God is a slave to God and thankful for it. We will consider the curse of slavery to Satan, the privilege of slavery to God, and the consequence of slavery to God. So first in the curse of slavery to Satan, The term Lord is no longer part of the daily conversation of modern English. There was a time that it was, and they gave the readers of the Bible an extra depth to their understanding of who Jesus is. For a Lord, it was understood, is a master 
an owner. In time past, a lord lived in his castle, literally, owned the land surrounding the castle, and was master over the people who lived on his land. He protected these people living on their land and in turn told them what to do, be it in terms of paying taxes or joining his army or staying out of a particular bush, and they better obey or else. Lord involved ownership. This catches well enough what the Bible means with the word Lord. The Bible, though, applies the term specifically to Jesus Christ and it's concerning Jesus Christ as Lord that the church makes confession in Lord's Day 13 to understand the force of this confession and its comfort also, we need to follow what the Lord has told us about Jesus as Lord. <clears throat> the line of thought we need to follow with our Lord's Day begins in paradise. Sovereign God was pleased to create a world and in this world place human beings. Though the human race was created to act responsibly and so have space to make decisions, it was clear from the beginning that God as creator was master over the creature man. The creator was man's Lord, master, owner. God then sovereignly put man in a garden and instructed him what to do in the garden. He had to work it and take care of it, Genesis 2.15. And he told him, too, that he could eat of every tree in the garden except the one in the middle, Genesis 2.16. Man received freedom, but it was a freedom under God, and so involved acknowledging him as master and owner. Turns out that man rebelled against his master. In so doing, the human race established a bond with Satan, came to acknowledge Satan as his lord, his master. Being servants to Satan has a particular look to it. As Paul makes clear in Romans 6, he speaks in verse 16 and again in verse 17 of being slaves to sin. That's an interesting phrase, one we need to grasp correctly. The picture here presents sin as an owner, as a master. So sin telling you what to do. In verse 12, the apostle tells his readers that they must not let sin reign in their mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. The term reign belongs to the realm of kings and lords, and that's precisely Paul's point. Sin is a king. Sin is a master that owns you and so tells you what to do. And since you are owned by sin, you are in fact a slave to sin. You must do what your king, sin, tells you to do. Yet sin is not a king in its own right. The Satan behind sin is the one you're enslaved to, and it's he who gives you his instructions. That's the picture Paul is drawing after the fall into sin in Genesis 3. The human race is the possession of the devil and Satan, and as master tells the slaves what to do. <clears throat> The question arises as to what slavery to this Lord known as sin or Satan is like. Is he a kind and gentle master, so that slavery to him is in fact quite pleasant, a quite a pleasant experience? The answer of scripture is patently no. I refer to a passage in Mark 5, 
The passage tells us of the demon-possessed man from the region of the Gerasenes. Concerning him, Mark reports that night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones, verse 5. It's not the picture of everyone enjoying his life. Now, now it's true that the self-mutilation of this demon-possessed man does not characterize everyone in bondage to Satan in the same obvious manner. Yet there is something in the pain this man inflicts upon himself that actually does characterize all who belong to the devil. <clears throat> For this idea of knocking your head against a rock so as to cut yourself need not only happen physically, but can also happen metaphorically. And the fact is that those who belong to Satan have every reason to knock their heads metaphorically. For to slaves of Satan, life makes no sense and has no purpose. The Bible speaks about walking in darkness, John 1 verse 5. It speaks of frustration, Romans 8 verse 20. It speaks of groaning, Romans 8 22. <clears throat> and meaningless, Ecclesiastes 1. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, and the empty way of life, 1 Peter 1 verse 18, and that's how the slave of Satan and of sin feels deep inside. This frustration can come out in various ways. It can come out in the works of the flesh that characterize those who do not belong to Jesus Christ, who are not renewed by his spirit, see Galatians 5 verse 18, including attitudes as anger, and selfishness, and so on. It can come out in the dependence of drugs or alcohol or sex as a means to massage the ache in one's soul. It can come out in the artwork ungodly people produce and their style of music. It can come out in the urge to be in control and so refuse to be dependent on anyone. That's why the child of God would not want to hang a piece of modern-style art in his living room. It speaks a message of frustration and senselessness, and that flies in the face of the hope of the gospel. That's equally why the child of God does not appreciate the music of today's post-modern and post-Christian world. That music conveys a sense of the frustration and hopelessness that characterizes those enslaved to sin. And the child of God is being set free from that hopelessness. Make no mistake, to be a slave to sin is no fun. It's a cruel bondage because Satan is a cruel master. And that we need to know is a setting of Lord's Day 13. That brings us to our second point. <clears throat> God done for those who by nature are slaves to a master called sin and behind sin a bigger master called Satan what did God do he sent his only son into the world this son we confessed in Lord's day 11 is Jesus because he saves his people from their sins Matthew 1 21 in the course of his earthly ministry he displayed what he came to do through miracles as casting out demons. For the demons and the devil behind them should not take ownership over people created to belong to God. More, 
He delivered so many from the bitter effects of sin's bondage, for he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he gave food to the hungry, and the list goes on. Yet all of that was possible only because at the end of his life, he would die on the cross. His death on the cross involved atoning for sin, as well as battling and defeating the devil. Concerning the payment for, of sin, the Apostle Peter says, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. As a result of the price Jesus paid to the Father, we had been purchased from the devil who owned us ever since our fall into sin and have become Christ's property. Paul describes the result this way. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. That's to say, we're back on God's side. But now what? Now that we're delivered from bondage to sin and Satan, now that we've been restored to God's side, are we free people, free to do our own thing? We like to think so, and that's the language we hear from time to time. Christians are free, but it is patently not so, beloved. God Almighty sent his only son into the world to set free specific people from bondage to sin. <coughs> He accomplished this task through a sacrifice on the cross. God's response to Jesus' work was that God received him back into heaven that he had left at his incarnation. But when God received Jesus back into heaven at his ascension, God did, not, did more than simply welcome his son back and then designate him a spot in yonder corner. Rather, sovereign God exalted his son to the throne at his right hand. And that's to say that Jesus Christ was made Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Concerning his exaltation, Jesus told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18. So, on the day of Pentecost, Peter could tell the crowds before him, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Acts 2, 36. There's the word of our Lord's day. Jesus is Lord over all of God's creation, master of all, owner. That's why Paul could tell the Philippians that every knee in heaven and on earth would bow before Jesus and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. But would you think then, beloved, that you who are restored to God's side and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord are actually free to do your own thing? Make no mistake, there's a perversion of the biblical message. That's the perversion of the biblical message. Listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. We've, been, we've already looked at the passage and noted Paul's phrase, slaves to sin a phrase that pictured sin as a king 
and ourselves as slaves to King Sin, <clears throat> and therefore obeying the instructions that this cruel master barks out. Then we're grateful to read in verse 18 that you have been set free from sin, a thought that's repeated in verse 22, where the apostle says again that you have been set free from sin is delightful news. But he adds right away in verse 18 that we have become slaves to righteousness. And in verse 22, that we have become slaves to God. In the same way as sin was seen as a king telling his slaves what to do, and Satan was obviously behind this king's sin, so righteousness is seen here as a king telling his subjects what to do. And righteousness here stands for God who owns us, those slaves we are. The passage is plain. Though we are most certainly freed from the bondage to sin and Satan, we are not free in the sense that we now have full latitude to do our own thing. Freedom to make our own decisions. We are, says the apostle, slaves to God. That's why the closing line of question and answer 34 says what it says. Christ Jesus has ransomed us from the power of the devil to make us his own possession. That's a graphic picture. If we are his own possession, we belong to him in the same way that our shoes belong to us. And that's to say that he owns us. That's the force of the biblical word slaves, as Paul used it in Romans 6. We, though, don't always feel the word slaves. It has to have our ears. We, though, don't like the feel of the word slaves. It has to our ears a negative flavor. It's negative to our ears, perhaps in part because of the North America's history in relation to slavery. Those slaves suffered. And that's the flavor of suffering and cruelty that we hear in the word slaves and that we reject for ourselves. Yet at bottom, congregation, there's more. There's another reason why we're uncomfortable with the notion of being slaves. That's the whole concept of freedom. We cherish freedom. Canada even has a charter of rights and freedoms. And now we need to confess we're somehow slaves. We'll grant that those not redeemed by Jesus' blood are slaves to sin and Satan, but that we who are redeemed should still be slaves in some sense. No, that doesn't go down well. We're sure Christians are free, we want Christian freedom. We can even find biblical texts to defend our position. For does Paul not write in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free? Yet, congregation, Paul's use of the word slaves in Romans 6 is no accident. The exalted position of Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords leaves no alternative but to understand that his people are his possession his property. But now we need to know, brothers and sisters, to learn to hear the word slaves in this context with biblical ears. For what kind of a master is this Lord of Lords? Satan, we well understand, is a cruel master. So that being slave to him is bondage indeed. But being slaves to Jesus Christ is an entirely different matter. Do not forget what the Son of God gave up in order to redeem you from Satan's power. 
Though he was with God in glory from all eternity, the Son gave up his heavenly glory, came to earth to die on a cross. He shed his blood so that with the price of his blood he might redeem and ransom you from Satan's cruel slavery. And after he's ransomed you, he made you the children of God. And since you are children of God, you are heirs with him of his Father's world. That's the whole force of Lord's Day 12. We're Christians. We share in Christ's anointing, and so even kings with him in today's world. But such labor on Jesus' part to, to free us from the devil and make us as heirs with him does not, brothers and sisters, mean that we have no master anymore. Rather, Jesus' self-sacrifice in securing your redemption defines the love the mercy, the care of everyone whom God has made your master today. So there's the question. Do you find it a tragic thing to be his possession? Make no mistake. The only alternative is to remain slaves to the devil. There is no third option available. Sure, you can deny the reality of bondage to Satan, but that doesn't change the facts any. You can even insist that Christ has set you free, and so you are free to do what you want, but that doesn't make it so. That's simply to say that you continue to live under delusion from the great liar, the devil. No, one is either slave to Satan or a slave to Jesus Christ. There's no third option. And being a slave to Jesus Christ is not a negative thing at all. Most certainly as his property we're meant to listen to his instructions. But tell me then, what's the nature of his instructions? Are his commands harsh or hard, given that his love for his people is so great that he laid down his life for his own? It's clear that his commands cannot be harsh. That's also what he says himself. Listen to Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple, verse 7. Life has its struggles so that we don't know the way forward, and that gets us discouraged and weighed down. The Lord says, my commands are wholesome. They revive the soul. See also Proverbs 3, 1 to 8. This Lord gives instructions most definitely, but his instructions are not cruel or oppressive. That's why John could write, this is love for God to obey his commands. And he adds, and his commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. We need to add right away, that is not how we always experience it. We experience time and again that God's law gets in the road of our plans and that irks us. That's why we chafe for the notion of being slaves. We want our freedom. We'll serve God, sure, for we're Christians, we don't want too many rules telling us to do this or that, or telling us not to go here or to watch that. And that brings us to our last point, the consequence of slavery to God. <clears throat> Why is it that we experience this chafing? That congregation is because Christ, who has set us free from the power of the devil, and made us his own possession, has not yet made us perfect. 
To stay with the language of lords and slaves, perhaps I can best say it like this. The master called Satan and sin refuses to admit that we're no longer his property and so keeps barking or perhaps whispering his commands in our ear. At the same time, the Lord who redeemed us proclaims his commands in our other ear. We hear these two sets of contrary instructions and we're caught between deciding to listen to our gracious Lord and King Jesus Christ or listening to the cruel master Satan. To complicate matters more, our hearts remain sinful so that there's a big part of us that wants to listen to Satan's instructions. Do not commit adultery, says our Lord and Savior. And he adds that his law is wholesome and edifying. A bit of pornography won't hurt you, whispers our ex-owner, and your wife will never find out. Why shouldn't you be free to enjoy yourself? Do not lie, says our Lord and Savior. But there is that other voice that says it's only a little lie, just this once, and look at what you're going to gain as a result. That's the tension we experience day by day, the struggle of Christian living. And our natural bent is to give in to the whispers of the devil in the one ear instead of the instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ in the other ear. It's in that struggle that the Christian confesses who his Lord actually is. And that's to say that he confesses his determination to listen to instructions of his true Lord and not of his ex-owner. Caught in this confession that Jesus is our Lord, congregation, is the obligation we live the Christian life as we all do. You cannot confess that Jesus is Lord and ignore his commands. That's hypocrisy, pure and simple. Yet to obey his commands in the dust and in the dirt of this broken life is hard work and takes much self-denial. That is why the confession that Jesus is Lord drives the Lord's slaves ever and again to their knees, asking for what his will for his people might be. Day by day, hour by hour, with each changing circumstance and each decision we need to make, Lord, what do you want of me? You cannot confess his lordship without being a man of prayer, ever seeking his will. And the master's answers we need to know do not come out of the sky as a bolt of lightning. They come instead to us through his word. That is why as a slave of God is deeply busy day by day with the word of God. He is Lord. His will is revealed in the Bible. And so the child of God delights in that word that drives us to the church to hear the word. It drives us to personal Bible study as well. In fact, the confession that Jesus is Lord of every square inch of life requires us to seek his will in every circumstance. And finding the right answers in the Bible can be more than we can manage on our lonesome. So there's need for talking with others, discussing the circumstances you're in, be it with your spouse or a good friend or a wise brother in the congregation or the brothers and sisters at communal Bible study. But no matter how you look at it, confessing Jesus' lordship requires that we seek his will for us in every situation and then humbly and obediently doing that will. 
And that obedience, we need to know, gives us freedom. We are free from Satan, no longer his slaves, yet obeying the commands that he whispers in our ears will get us in a lot of trouble so quickly. And we're enslaved again to sin. Such is your Savior's love that he has freed you from Satan's cruel bondage and now gives you wholesome instructions so that you flourish. In a word, it's a privilege to have him as Lord and Master. Amen.